0: Welcome to Slime House, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Chad.
1: I'm Jared. I'm Max. And I'm Nelson.
0: And today we're covering Beethoven and Beethoven's Second.
2: Wherever there's trouble, <laughs> wherever there's danger,
1: Wherever there's food.
3: Mutt.
0: Oh, I just love these big, dumb animals.
1: So since we're covering two movies, in the first Beethoven, a pair of bumbling dog snatchers accidentally uncage a precocious, slobbering St. Bernard puppy named Beethoven, who finds his way to the Newton family, where he becomes the center of attention and makes Mr. Newton lose his mind, but wins his heart. And in the second Beethoven, by now Beethoven has settled into the Newton family, um, and they've adjusted to him, Uh, but all of a sudden he meets a female St. Bernard named Missy, and the whole family steps up when they have an unexpected litter of puppies. Misadventures then ensue. But Missy's cruel former owners are hot on their trail and will do anything to snatch those
3: puppies. All right, so the first Beethoven... It came out in 1992, and it was directed by Brian Levant, who we've seen a lot on this podcast. Maybe our most covered director, if I have the venture a guess off the top of my head, he's done Jingle All the Way, Snow Dogs, um, and uh, also Christmas Story Two, which we vaguely covered a little bit on our Christmas Story episode. Um, and this is he also directed in the Slime Can, and he's a director that pretty much works solely in slime. He directed Problem Child 2, Jingle All the Way, the Flintstones movies, Are We There Yet, Spy Next Door, so many slimy movies. Um, and this is one of his earliest films, his earliest film we covered before this. He uh, started off as a writer for Happy Days and Mork and Mindy. It was written by John Hughes, who we also have seen and discussed a lot on this podcast. He wrote it under the pseudonym of Edmund Dantes, who's a character from The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, I couldn't really find out why he wrote this under a pseudonym. It seems that there's differing reports, but he also used the same pseudonym for Made in Manhattan and Drillbit Taylor. Also written by Amy Holden Jones, who was a director on Slumber Party Massacre, which is a great slasher movie, I'd recommend it, and a writer for Mystic Pizza and Indecent Proposal, so did a lot of writing work in the 90s. It was produced by Ivan Reitman, again, somebody we've seen a lot on this podcast, um, kindergarten cop. It was shot by Victor J. Kemper, who uh, shot Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Jingle All the Way, both of which we've covered here, and music by Randy Edelman, who got to be one of our most covered composers on here. He scored Kindergarten Cop, The Mask, Indian in the Cupboard, Big Green, Leave it to Beaver, Osmosis Jones, Son of the Mask, Balls of Fury, uh, so many. For the second one, you had Rod Daniel step into the director's chair. Um, it was just one year later, 1993. He directed Teen Wolf, K nine with Jim Belushi, another dog film and later the tv film home alone 4 it was written by lynn blum who uh, has done a lot of comedy work he did uh, meatballs which while not necessarily slimy is a summer camp movie maybe the summer to camp movie which feels like a slimy genre he also wrote private parts uh, the pink panther remake with steve martin over the hedge so he's still working in family movies even recently it was uh, shot by Bill Butler, who has a very prestigious career. He shot uh, Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversations, shot Jaws, shot One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then some other random stuff through the 70s and 80s, uh, Grease, Child's Play. Uh, and it was edited by Sheldon Kahn, which I mentioned only because he was also the editor on Cuckoo's Nest. So that's two One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest key creative talent for Beethoven second. And uh like on the Mask, the only key returning creative talent was Randy Edelman, who returned to score the film.
2: So the cast of both movies is headlined by the Parents of the Newton family, played by Charles Groden, who is one of our favorite actors between us on the podcast. And I think this is his first movie of ours that we've covered, but we'll get around to Clifford and probably Great Muppet Caper and everything else. And then his wife is played by Bonnie Hunt, who is also in the Cheaper by the Dozen series and Jumanji. And in the first film, we have a supporting cast including Dean Jones, who's kind of a proto proto Slime star, starting in a lot of the uh, 60s Disney movies like That Darn Cat, Monkeys Go Home, Shaggy DA, and the Love Bug franchise. Also, we have a common uh, supporting slime house cast member in Oliver Platt, who we saw in Dr. Doolittle at the beginning of the season. And Stanley Tucci in an early role for him, and also David Duchovny and Patricia Heaton playing uh, Brad and Bree, these very sketchy uh, venture capitalists. And I didn't know this while watching it, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt in his debut role here, the cast to the second movie includes Chris Penn, who's a big wise guy actor, uh, not to start talking about tropes too early, but he was in Reservoir Dogs the year before, And his performance in this is very on that register of silly, wise guys making a mess. And then the aforementioned evil dog owner is played by Debbie Mazar, who's actually uh, our first wise girl actress because she plays a drug dealer in Goodfellas. So we have a guest, a new guest who hasn't been on the podcast
1: yet. uh, And that is Chad Ravigo, tuning in from D.C. So welcome, Chad.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs)
1: yeah and uh we always am curious because uh, I know you've been a, a listener for for a bit now and so you know about the show but I'm curious what made you pick Beethoven of all the episode of all the slimehouse movies that piqued your interest
0: yeah it's it's a kind of a lot of things i, I would say for for slimehouse overall like I definitely have a affinity towards like nostalgia and like the Beethoven movies were like something that even my relatives knew that I like really enjoyed growing up like I also had Beethoven Beethoven's 3rd and Beethoven's 4th and those came out in like the early 2000s but but just because the the first two came out earlier like truly always on like repeat at home um i think also because i didn't have any pets growing up like there was something about like i'm like i like fantasize that experience of like having a dog like it would be just like beethoven like bringing the family <laughs> together and being such like a core of the family i mean i don't know what that means about what my family life was like actually like but there was something about that and even like animal actors that i really was into but there's something about beethoven specifically that just really enjoyed and and like even with the again with the third and fourth where those movies like weren't great but like was still gifted them because they knew i loved beethoven one and two
1: i actually have never seen three and four so we'll have to get a little intel until on that (laughs) yeah i've Um, never
3: seen them either yeah but um
1: (laughs) it's always interesting because everyone has like certain people just have different movies in their home growing up i actually don't think i'd ever seen beethoven's first in all and like from start to finish i remember we rented it once but only because like we were sort of taking care of a young my sister and i were sort of taking care of this younger kid at a grown-ups party and like he got bored in it so then we didn't want to watch it because it was like for a little kid you know Um, but randomly Beethoven's second, I actually am glad we're covering too, because that one was like a ski bus movie for me. So I've seen it. I I didn't think I'd seen it all the way through, but then I got to the like eating contest. I was like, oh yes, this is a classic. Like one of those weird things where I have more nostalgia for Beethoven's second than for his first.
3: (laughs) Yeah, for me, I feel like I probably saw the first Beethoven at some point growing up, just like at my aunt's house or daycare or school on a bus or something like that. But I'm not sure if I ever, like, I'm not totally sure I ever saw the movie in full. It wasn't really a movie that was very present in my, like, childhood growing up. I feel like, but I feel like always, Beethoven's just become one of those characters and those names that, like, I feel like every, most people have, like, a cultural awareness that there is, like, a movie with a big dog named Beethoven. So to me, Beethoven has always been, like, just a character and a thing. I've always known there's these dog movies, Beethoven. They've loomed large, despite the fact that... I'd never seen them, and I feel like for some, I always just, as a kid, and even now, I always just found like the naming conventions for all the sequels very charming. With Beethoven's second, Beethoven's third, I remember like as a kid when I like got that for the first time, I felt so felt so smart. I was like, oh, like the <laughs> like the the symphonies. That's <laughs> so yeah, it made me feel very sophisticated as a kid, despite never having seen it. So yeah, they they loom large despite never having watched them.
2: Well, I'll say this: if they're Um, I'm inventing a genre right here right now called my family rented this once core and this is a flagship movie of that genre
4: (laughs) yeah I had actually never seen the Beethovens at all Um, or if I had I I had no um, recollection of it at all so for me these were very I was very hot to cover these on the show because I know how important they are to Slimehouse as a genre. I had heard rumblings that they were pretty, pretty unhinged and certain scenes did not disappoint. Um, so I'm really glad we got to them and uh, very, very, very glad to have a chat on the show, the Beethoven experts uh, to, to chat this through. <laughs> I will say though, Beethoven going up Max's point it, for me, Beethoven feels like the, um, the ultimate like dog movie. I, there was definitely dog movies before Beethoven, movies like Turner and Hooch, things like that. But I don't think the like dog movie as we know it would exist today without Beethoven, because it was a hit. I mean, at least the first one was a, like a fairly sizable hit. Um, so in that regard, I, I think this is a, a pillar of the genre, because we all know how, how much Slimehouse loves it, loves a good good slobbery dog.
3: Yeah, and I think for this being such an early dog movie, all the dog movie tropes, which we haven't really touched that much on, because this is our first real like dog movie. Even though of course we've had like Snow Dogs, I mean Firehouse Dog. Mask. Oh yeah, Firehouse Dog. <laughs> that's one, but that feels a little unique as a dog movie because yeah, a, he's now, this a is a first like, this is the first like family archetypal. dog movie. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. all the all the tropes that I feel like are there from from like. the the very start so yeah we can get into that though yeah
1: i think it's amazing because we we early identified the influence of john hughes and i think largely that was attributed to the 80s kind of more raunchy older comedies but then home alone but you forget that like beethoven's right after home alone here and it's like the guy just had that alchemy of being you know regardless of what you think of the movies he knew he knew how to sell what the audience is needed at the time, and so you have a movie like Home Alone that's so influential in one type of slime house, the more, like, prank-based slime house, but then this one is, like, so archetypal. It feels early, but its it feels like it's, like, kind of cutting out the template
2: inroads for what we're going to see in so many other
1: slime house dog family movies.
2: And, and he followed this up with Baby's Day Out, and that didn't... He didn't write, write that under the End of Dante pseudonym, which is interesting why he felt like this is the one. It's like I have to Alan Smithy myself out of this movie. But um yeah, I mean like also that uh we mentioned Ivan Reitman who passed away last month, but um he made Kindergarten cop also in nineteen ninety alongside Home Alone, at least within a month of each other. And like I think both of those guys are, you know, in this early slime era trying to cultivate this certain kind of kids movie and here they're teaming up and joining forces and making it. And I think as a nineteen ninety two release this, I mean, we've talked about early slime movies such as Airborne, which have this kind of like. It's not. A, I think we really uh, covered this dichotomy really well when talking about the mask versus son of the mask, but the, the later uh, slime era is kind of like more about the visual facts and the cartoony kind of stylistics. And then the early slime is kind of like about the more trope driven. This movie really feels like a ramp up from the early slime era to the prime slime era.
4: Yeah, something. Um interesting that i have been doing some just personal research on recently is is a is, is a style of comedy that i that i call the cul-de-sac comedy which is a a very adjacent slimehouse genre but is a little bit more geared towards kind of boomers as you know as they age into be having families and having kids and dealing with kind of the milieu of like suburban life And it feels like, I mean, John Hughes was definitely a champion of that in the 80s to the early 90s. And then when, obviously, these boomers who have kids start taking their kids to the movies, they realize, oh, you know, we got to have something in here for the kids. We can't just have, like, a Mr. Mom or something like Baby Boom, which is a Diane Keaton vehicle that are about, you know, babies and having families but are just made for adults home alone and or beethoven specifically you know the movie's kind of about the adult it's kind of about charles grodin and him dealing with this dog but the humor is all stuff that kids would will love and you know do love so to me it feels like this strong pivot from oh we're making all these comedies these suburban comedies for boomers for these young adults but now we're just going to make them for their kids. Yeah, because
3: I feel like that's something I, I noticed while I was watching this that surprised me, because I, like I said, I never, don't think I've ever seen these movies, is that the first one specifically, the second, they're both slimy movies, but the second one feels much more like a kid's movie. The first one feels very much like a family movie, in that like, it's called Beethoven, obviously, and he's front and center, but it's really much like Jasper said, yeah, it's not even about the kids, it's very much about the dad. Like The central main character of Beethoven is Charles Grodin's character, and... Uh, The second one is much more about, like, the kids, the dogs, there's more than one dog in it, of course, added in, and, like, it feels like it really ramps that up, and while, yeah, like I said, they're both slimy movies, they're both kids' movies, but the first one feels like it's very much, like, to reach everybody, to to get reach the parents and the kids, and there's just as many, like, jokes for dad or whatever, like, it's stuff that anybody would find funny, even if it's aimed towards kids, and there's, like... I feel like there's a lot of humor based around like Charles Grodin being harried and upset, which feels like it could be for whole families, while the second one goes a little more like immature, I would say, with the humor. I feel like you can really see, like, they're both slimy movies, but the second one, even though it's just one year has passed, it feels more firmly rooted in like the slime house, wheelhouse, than the first one, which, while slimy, is very much also just this sort of like suburban comedy.
0: I'll say I, I really... I think enjoy always enjoyed Beethoven second more for a very specific reason, maybe we'll get to. Spoiler, it's Debbie Mazar who like totally makes Beethoven second for me. Remember Beethoven won just less because of that, and watching it, I was really, I guess, struck because Beethoven second, like you like you said, is so much more about like the kids and them like, you know, trying to hide. Like sneakily raise these puppies, and you know, even like having Missy and all that. Um, whereas Beethoven One, you're truly getting like feel like just this family, like all the family's little just living. You know, Ted dealing with his bullies, Rice just like simping over that boy when he when he knows her name, and Beethoven is sort of like the conduit that we're like ex- just experiencing the kids growing up and like george dealing with his business stuff versus the second so
1: yeah it's funny that the second one it's funny that you have that because similarly like i think i would only seen the second one probably because it was a more like uh it was it's more of like the hit maker you know like they have these individual moments you can tell that it doesn't really feel like they wrote like a story they were more just like you know it'd be great Going to the mountains, you know. And it's like it, could <laughs> <Yeah. be> also, <laughs> it would also be great, like a scene where the whole house falls apart. You know these things. Oh, like that. And, yeah, um, it just feels very like episodic. Even it, it has these moment where it's like five months later and like eight weeks later. It's because they like, oh, we need the dogs to grow up, or we need the you know the litter to be born, or whatever. It just feels very like the writing of it's an afterthought. Whereas yeah, the first one is a little more like screenplay structure. Like dad doesn't like dog end of the movie dad
4: loves dog you know it's it's interesting you guys are coming in with beethoven's second kind of being the slimier of the two is kind of what i'm hearing because i actually thought Beethoven second was a downgrade in slime sliminess the first like i mean the first one is kind of that suburban comedy with like a lot of just like centerpiece slime moments the the chair running with the table scene you know just Beethoven sitting on the bed all muddy there's I mean there's some just amazing sequences that I just legitimately laughed out loud at but then the second one the first kind of 45 minutes when they're kind of trying to hide the puppies and things like that felt a little saccharine to me in a way that wasn't slime house like what they were doing is a lot of the stuff we talk about like kids trying to you know hide stuff from the parents and you know things like that but none of the humor and really until they got to the mountains felt slime house to me which i thought was very interesting because usually with a sequel we always see it get slimed up a notch but for me this beethoven second actually felt aside from the like big centerpiece gags in the second half it felt a little bit slimed down until they got to the mountains.
1: well let me actually let me clarify my thoughts on it because i i think i just think about beethoven second as much more like episodic i i I'm not quite sure which is more slime house yet, but I think in the first one, it's like one cohesive story. Although there is a little bit of like shoehorning in the vet and the evil like dog catching operation, but it's still pretty much like, you know, narratively straightforward. Um, but uh, whereas the second one is a little more unhinged in terms of what the plausibility meter is is going on, if that distinction makes sense.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the key distinction for me was, yeah, that plausibility, because, like, the first one, other than when he, like, pulls David Duchovny and Patricia Heaton, like, in the chairs, and, like, flips them over around, like, at the fence, like, Beethoven pretty much acts like a real dog could. Like, he makes a lot of big... He's big, he's messy, he's, like... But nothing he does is that outside the realm of possibility. But then, like, the second one, they anthropomorphize him so much more. Like, he has he falls in love. He like, uh, (laughs) he he, covers uh, his eyes with, yeah, he covers, yeah, yeah, uh, (laughs) he does. And, and like, he he had, shows like superhuman strength at one point when like we mentioned he pulls down an entire house, which is I think the craziest scene in any of these movies for numerous reasons. But and then and and, and he then there's the scene that we kind of which I think is the slimiest scene in either of these movies where he and there's like a burger eating contest with Charles Grodin where he like and people are heckling him and he like understands that he's being heckled like yeah I feel like he just feels Beethoven is way more he does more human things in the second one which I don't know if it rang maybe I shouldn't say slimier but zanier wackier more comedic than the first one because yeah I mean because the first one like yeah it's a pretty the the vet feels very weird and cartoonish and out of place in it to me at least just with the tone of the rest of the movie because he's just sort of this sort of over the top cartoon villain and when you put him in there it made every he, he felt too almost too like Heightened for the world of Beethoven.
2: Well, the fact sec- that hot dog eating contest, hamburger eating contest is sponsored by Milkbone, and Milkbone has so much product placement in the second movie that's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and the first movie, I, I don't know the the evil vet. Like, I just felt that it was actually like really dark because like his plot is just like euthanize this animal and it has yeah, such a cavalier um, attitude towards it and it's like what the F. It, it reminded me it reminded yeah. me of kindergarten cop which is like also right man, well just it like just felt really dark. dark
3: that like yeah. they needed like like dog skulls to like test ammunition on yeah, it's like like and, and and, and his, like a little bit of his little bit of a 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 little bit of like little bit of a little like a horror movie this a like a slasher movie <laughs> Death. but yeah yeah he yeah. Did, yeah he just felt like so weird because he was so much more over the top but not heightened enough to be cartoonish but he just felt like so villainous in a movie where like the world of the movie is overall pretty p- p- down to earth you know
2: well the second movie you have the the villains i was talking about and they're wise guys and wise girls playing it so that's the classic trip we saw in home alone and a few other movies where we have these like uh, criminal act- actors that have played uh, criminals in these mobster movies, just like hamming it up in these kids' movies. So I felt they were very cartoony. Much more, I felt like they were much more in place as antagonists of a Slimehouse movie than the first Beethoven. So I suppose that's a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
3: I think they were a really slimy duo of villains for sure. And they they really rem- she reminded me especially, I mean, of Cruella DeVille, not only because of like the dog preoccupation, but just this like sort of like high society villainous that's like bosses around like this and then just kind of this yeah definitely the highlights of either of these movies for me were debbie mazar and chris Penn. i just always like the wise guy characters and love both those actors
1: so. and and in this in the first one more so with stanley tucci and oliver platt we get like the classic like henchmen whose sole purpose is to like be punching bags basically and <laughs> um and get beaten up but i was thinking after watching this i was thinking about writing like a spin-off world where it's like The world as we know it exactly, but everyone either is obsessed with dogs or hates dogs. And like, that's the dichotomy is like, you have families who love their dogs, and then everyone who doesn't have dogs just like hates animals. And it's so funny how in both these movies, like, you have these villains who just like hate dogs with a passion. And like, she's just using, in the second one, she's just using Missy as like this divorce money extraction, you know? <laughs> it's like, and yeah, I just, I don't know. The the world, it is funny cause it's like the real world but just any attitudes towards the pups is so extreme.
4: You know, this is ridiculous. It's a dog, he doesn't
3: have preferences. You could call him Ding Dong Head. He wouldn't know the difference.
0: Yes he would. He'll tell us what he wants to be called. <laughs>
4: Kind of jumping back back to the first Beethoven, Beethoven also, I mean, aside from being like a dog movie, really establishes kind of the dad as a vessel for for no fun. We've seen in some of the kind of more proto-slime stuff, we've seen weird science, but the parents aren't really a part of the movie. They're just, you know, they're out of town and they say no parties, you know, so they're they're just these kind of conceptual vessels of authority. Whereas Charles Grodin in this like is becomes like a caricature dad that I think we will then see over and over and over again in the coming decade.
3: Yeah, I made a note of that with like literally just like very shortly into his time on screen. Like this is like the prototypical Slimehouse dad. When we talk about these like hairy dads that are too busy with work and like uh, always stressed out to like a cartoonish level, it felt like he is very much like who represents that more than any other character we've seen to me and uh, like the fact that he's also like obsessed with his business and trying to balance because there's a whole plot where his wife is talking to him like oh you're not balancing your business and family which we've seen so many times in this to make it even slimier it's kind of a wacky business he's like an air freshener firm with the big nose on the building and it's like yeah i felt like that felt because we've seen this time and time again like Jingle all the way, same director, the uh, haunted mansion. These da- like overworked business dads who are like stressed out to the point of like that's the joke is how stressed out they are. They're always like at their breaking point, and yeah, I feel like Charles Groden here, and the fact that he's kind of even the second one, they also give him a little more like. Square and he's like strict about about the daughter talking to boys and all this and that feels even adds even more layers of sliminess onto this because yeah he feels like such a good slime house dad
0: his line that really made me laugh it during some breakfast scene I mean he's very dramatic but he goes if if I don't get this deal i'll kill myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny because like he
1: operates in this way where he only talks to bonnie hunt it's almost like uh who's the mom it's almost like stewie the baby who like only talks to the dog like no one else even notices he's there it's like his kids often and it's not quite extreme but like you get the idea like there's so many scenes where like his kids are just minding their business and he's just like venting to bonnie hunt who has like
0: no agency in
1: these movies (laughs) no yeah (laughs) like
0: i don't know i just okay for me bonnie hunt is like the ultimate mom and i think particularly her is alice newton like just like the first shot of her where she's like just turning over in bed and like looking at ted like it's time to wake up or whatever um i mean between that and jumanji and obviously like cheaper by the dozen and i also like watched life with bonnie like life, when with, I bonnie, pic- I like, life with bonnie i was like like when i picture <laughs> like movie moms like i also like i mean i follow her on twitter she's just like so like unproblematic like <laughs> there was some psychological thing of watching her so young that i really like it but yeah but i mean i thought it was I mean this is a, a tiny blip when, when she's like hosing and he's driving away she's like have a good day and like hoses into the car that was really cute and she's like at the end of Beethoven's second He's like can't we all just calm down like <laughs> the voice of reason I
3: yeah I feel like this is such just like the the slime house family or just like the the family movie family in general these sort of archetypes all sort of break down like you have to like the stressed out, overworked dad, the mom, and then, like, I feel like the kids also very much fit all their own, like, stereotypes. There's, like, the older daughter that's just now getting interested in boys. There's, like, the youngest daughter that's just sort of, like, the, the baby of the group. And you have, like, a nerdy son that's, like, awkward at school and gets picked on. Literally, like, I feel like if you were, like, just trying to even just make, like, a spoof of, like, a family movie, those are, like, the the types you'd go with, and they're all represented here
1: yeah just on but on bonnie hunt specifically i find it interesting because it's a it's a case where like they're they're selling one ideal in her in particular where it's it's an unusual case where nowadays i feel like there is this like emphasis on like you know moms can work and have it all but she like is getting pressured to go back to work by her husband which it feels kind of the opposite of what normally is the um the rolls river and so it's funny because she has to like defend her agency as like wanting to be a stay-at-home mom which and and it's funny because that's like her that's her main thing is like but then there are times where like beethoven's making this outrageous mess and uh it's charles groden who has to clean it up and i'm like where's bonnie hunt like why she's at home all day like why doesn't she clean up this like slobber or whatever but it's like they want to give him, he's the one who like hates it and reacts to it and so they like as a result i feel like she kind of gets she doesn't get to do either thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm.
3: Well, I feel like he's, he's maybe, like, the greatest, like, annoyed actor I can think of. He's one of the best <laughs> actors. Like, all his roles, like, Clifford, even, like, Heartbreak Kid, this, he's always just acting, like, very annoyed by the other characters, and I feel like he really puts that to good, good effect here, and... Uh, Very good conduit for getting... I feel like this movie... This whole movie is just excuses for him to like get mud or slobber or any... Just to get him to get substances on his suit. Like, that's half the gags in the movie. is just somehow Beethoven ends up getting something on his suit or his shoes. And then he's pissed off about it. And that's, like, so much of the humor here. But yeah, this movie... I mean, just going off of that, I feel like we talk so much about messes being key to Slimehouse. And this movie is mess mess, central. Beethoven is one of the best mess makers I feel like we've seen. <laughs> yeah, there's so many just like muddy paw prints shaking off mud and water. I think the scene where Charles Gordon comes into the bedroom and Beethoven's on the bed and like slow motion, they build up suspense for him to shake it all off. That feels like a very key like mess scene oh, to so me. So much drool. <laughs> like I was
0: like I was like, oh my, I was like there's too much like literally sopping wet and the way that it like hits the family portrait yeah was, like, yeah when they come to gross. that i'm like that's <laughs> a wild
3: shot yeah
1: that's, <laughs> this is just really gross it feels like that's like one of those like moments in history where like audiences saw it they reacted so big and studios were like this is what they want yeah. <laughs> crank it crank it <laughs> and that's coupled right together with there's a love of food in this movie that is sort of unmatched in terms of like Beethoven just eats so much food. I was just like, dang, boy, how did, how are you still hungry after all that?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, they have a really good scene that felt like a very, like, cartoony gag where they're all, it's like a montage when he's first, like, become big. He's first, like, living with the family, and they all bring in, like, bags of food, and each bag is, like, larger than the last. And Charles Groden has, like, a cartoonishly large bag of food. Like, a lot of food and just eating in this movie, was very slimy. Like like uh, Beethoven, like he's trying to get bacon off a plate at one point, and then the the second one has a very slimy like opening dream sequence where Beethoven is is hungry, and that felt like one of the slimier parts of either of these movies to me, where he's just dreaming about having like a cartoonishly big steak. Just, uh, I feel like so much of, like, slime. what's slimy about animals? What's slimy about animals? Beethoven represents because he's, he's gross, he's big, he's unwieldy, he's a perfect, like, conduit for slime, for slapsticks, he can knock people over, he's, like, he eats a lot, just, you have so much opportunity for the slimiest gags opens up with this particular dog, with Beethoven. Yeah,
0: I always used to think, I mean, still think that in the, in Beethoven's second, the burger eating scene, I was just, always be like those burgers look so dry like literally bun meat <laughs> bun and like yeah. that's it
3: <laughs> yeah and they're doing these nasty close-ups on both like the dogs and the humans like eating like, them and smashing the so burger gross. into yeah. his
0: mouth like <laughs> and then drinking water yeah <laughs> Yes,
1: somehow. Okay, so there's that, Eating Honest, and then there's another infamous one, Stand By Me. That's you know what that. it makes me think. Yeah. Oh, that,
0: yes. <laughs>
3: Pie.
1: <laughs> and they, they feel like there's, like, spiritual, like, successors or whatever, of iconic, like, I don't, I, you know, I feel like you hear about it and you see it on the 4th of July,
4: but, like, rarely do you stumble across, like, a true eating contest we had some pie eating contests at my elementary school but i think is you just had to eat one pie whoever ate the most pie in five
3: yeah that's the same same with what yeah same with what anytime i've seen an eating contest that's how it's been i've only made it to second place with the pie eating contest
1: but i remember ours we were not allowed to use your hands so yes it was was Uh meant to be
3: Mm-hmm. There was a hot dog eating contest in town recently. I, I, I saw a hot dog eating contest once. That's the only like non pie eating contest I've bared witness to in real life. So,
4: I feel like that's a great Slimehouse premise. Is just a kid who wants to become like a professional like food uh, eater. What are, I think they have a, a competitive
3: I have... eater. I think competitive because there's, that, yeah, eater, there's yeah. that one guy, Joey Chestnut, like, the the hot dog champion. <laughs>
4: One, one note, note I wanted, I wanted to, to talk about is, about is I, I, was I was actually surprised, surprised at how um, this movie did, did have a lot of, kind of like the, like the live-action action live cartoonness that we look in, for in, in, in smaller, more subtle more ways, ways. But, I mean, but there's, there's a few, few scenes, scenes, moments that, that I was, that was like, like oh, wow, like, like, they, they really brought that, brought that in. Namely, in the first one, there's a scene where Charles Roden walks in the house with just paw prints all over his suit and it felt... You know, in a in very, a very cartoonish, cartoonish way, like a, a dog, a dog prince, wouldn't prince wouldn't be that perfect, perfect, perfect all over the suit. suit. Um, um The vet's, vet's glasses, glasses also ranked to me is as very cartoonish. cartoonish. He has, has these really thick frames that make his eyes really, really bug out, out in a, in a way, way that, that feels, feels very, very um like lab, lab scientist and like, and like a Dexter lab or something, something like that. Like um, and even, even in the second one, too, you know, you have, I mean, you have the contest, which has kind of like interesting cartoony edits to it. But even but the even scene where he kind of like tears, tears the house down, down. Um, just, just the, the sound, sound effects and the, and the way, way that it unfolds, unfolds feels very cartoonish, cartoonish to me. Also, the also fact that one Saint Bernard can, Bernard can tear down, down an entire cabin is <laughs> pretty pretty <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> but um, I, I, was, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised to see that kind of cartoon logic um, applied to this this type of movie. Oh. And even, and even my favorite, my favorite scene, scene is the scene in which where David DeCoverty can do, do a backflip over the, over, the, over the fence as they dragging in the chair, that, that, that to me felt very, very just classic, classic cartoon physicality. Yeah, one
3: thing that felt very cartoony to me was uh, Beethoven's... What, what's his missy? The, like, the Beethoven's love interest. The fact that she was literally just, like, a dog that looked just like Beethoven with, like, a bow and like wearing, <laughs> wearing pink. It's like, that feels like Miss pac or something. Yeah. yeah, like, that feels like yeah. a very cartoony Name way out. to be, like, the... The, the, the female counterpart is just like the same character, but with like a bow and some pink on. like that felt very cartoonish. Just like anything with Be- like Beethoven and her together because it was like kind of it was all kind of silent because Beethoven can't speak at least up until the one of the direct video sequels he can't speak. Yeah. <laughs> so because, all those scenes with them, like together, just the two of them all felt like they were sort of operating on a cartoonish logic of animals i feel like and just yeah i feel like yeah both of these movies because i was kind of expecting both of them especially the first one to be more like we said the first one's more grounded but i wasn't expecting there to be any sort of, like, the cartoonishness that Jasper is talking about. And there's also a lot of these sort of, like, very stylized, like, dogs. We talk about kids' eye view a lot. There's a lot of, like, dogs' eye view, where it's kind of the camera. You're seeing it from, like, Beethoven's perspective as he's walking around, like, sniffing and all this stuff. And that felt like a slimy... I and mean, they really only use them in the intros of the movie, but yeah, those felt like slimy ways to sort of introduce the dog characters having all these point of view... Actually, yeah, yeah, I'm glad
1: you brought that up. That, to me, was, like, one of the seminal things. And I'll, and I'll sort of tie both of those things together, the cartoonishness and the dog POV. It feels like these things come in spurts in the movie in a way that, like, when we get to, like, peak Slimehouse by, like, the year 2000, it's just, like, wall-to-wall slimehouse. But it feels like they're kind of, like, testing these new techniques um, with cartoonishness. Like, the, the, the scene in the, the first movie, movie where he drags and flips the bad uh, venture capitalists, um, it's just kind of out of nowhere. Like, otherwise it, it's sort of, dare I say, grounded in like a real suburban setting, you know? But then all of a sudden, like, we have these like gravity-defying moments. And so to the like house, house, is it, it's interesting that it those come in such small spurts compared to like it being wall-to-wall outrageous. Like it has moments of like some realism with it, um, but then it also has these over-the-top moments and, and with, with the, the dog POV thing, it's interesting mean, because it, I think they do a really good job of actually making it feel like Beethoven is the protagonist at times, like especially for the beginning of movies, where it's like, I think, and that feels like the first time we see it used, and later they'd be like full tilt only doing that stuff or, or more emphasizing that stuff, but it feels very inventive in both those elements
3: early. Yeah, I also think that something that Ring is slimy about this to me is this very much even though obviously no one would want their dog being menaced by this vet, it all felt sort of like you were saying earlier, Chad, we talk so much about wish fulfillment. It felt like very like wish fulfillment of like, what if a random dog showed up at our house and we had to take care of him. And he was this very exciting, cool dog that did all this crazy stuff. And then the second one, even more so felt kind of that wish fulfillment of like, oh, we're taking care of all these puppies, having to hide them, these like cute puppies, having to hide them from the, uh, from our parents. And then, The fact that, like, the dog helped the kids' bullies go away and all. It felt like very, like, wish fulfillment, sort of like you were saying. Whether somebody had, whether you have a dog or not, it felt like wish fulfillment of, like, this is the perfect family pet. Especially the fact that, like, he kind of just shows up at their house, both Beethoven and later the puppies. It just felt like a wish fulfillment type thing of, like, what if we had this wonderful family dog that not only was, like, a great pet, but also, like made this world famous and to, I got to the the boy finally called back because of <laughs> my famous dog and <laughs> something yeah that all felt very slimehouse to me is like this felt even if it maybe wasn't as clear as something like Max Keeble or something like that it felt like very in like a kid's wish fulfillment fantasy in a lot of ways even the first one which is much more about the dad as a central character than the kids
2: well going off that um, I think like we're talking about the first movie and it's how its dynamics are different. But one thing I think unique to the first film that I think is more Slimehouse is the uh, trope we see about the kids not really being believed in from their point of view. And so the biggest uh, way in which that happens in the first film is that there's a scene where the evil veterinarian comes in and tries to uh, stage a mauling between him and Beethoven to make Beethoven seem like a dangerous animal that needs to be put down. Uh, again super dark villain for a movie like this but um basically the youngest uh kid in the family she sees him staging it and put in like faking the attack and like hitting him first uh, that the the human hitting the dog first so uh she accused she calls him out for it and uh her parents don't believe her at first and then it takes them a while to come around and she's proven and right and validated and it was just good to, it's like a trope that we feel it we talked about a lot towards the first few seasons of this show. Um, just like this, uh, the kids know something we don't, and we should learn something from them. And uh, I feel like we, this is just a really like clean example that we hadn't seen in a while. Whereas in the second movie, I feel like everyone's just kind of like on the same page. The second movie feels a little bit more streamlined and like th- maybe thematically less like conventional. Um, but it kind of corroborates what we've said, like, you know, slimy movies as they, uh, as time progressed, got more, Focused and concerned on the aesthetics and getting more and more outrageous and silly than this um, kind of like that foundation of tropes. Well,
3: it feels like in the first one, like the kids kind of have this connection to Beethoven that nobody else has. But in the second one, it feels like Beethoven's like his his power. All these things he does are much more accepted, like in the world of the movie by everybody. To where like no no one seems like startled, like because there's some like when stuff gets like cartoony. In the first one, I feel like the characters react as if something ridiculous happened, In the second one, ridiculous stuff will just kind of happen, and like us as an audience find it funny, but it seems more normal in the world of the movie. There's like one really strange part in particular where like they're looking for the puppies, and they find like puppy poop on the ground or something, and there's this weird just like gross out gag where they're like somebody needs to touch it to like see if it's warm to like find out where the if the puppies are near if we're on their track, and like the whole family's just sort of like, oh, yeah, somebody's got to touch the poop. And it's like, I don't feel like that's, like, a normal way of the search for missing animals. But in the world of the movie, it's all just kind of accepted. And same with, like, when they're eating the burgers, like, ridiculously fast. Like, that's, like, presented in such a way that's, like... But no one in the audience is like, oh, wow, they're eating those crazy... Fa- like, like it's all just sort of things, seems like it's more normal within the movie.
4: My My favorite scene on that note is... In the second one, uh, they're they're out kind of right after you, you mentioned they're out looking for the dogs and they kind of put their hand in the dog poop, which you don't actually see on camera. Um, there's a scene where Charles Grodin kind of falls down a hill and does a flip and lands head first into a stump. Like and it's Chris in like style. <laughs> it's it's absolutely bizarre. <laughs> I guffawed so loud because it was so strange. But nobody really like like thinks it's weird how 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 strangely physically impossible that gag was so yeah i i really like that point max where it feels like the the slime physicality becomes just part of the world by the second one it's not it's not outrageous it's just the world becomes outrageous around the gags which i think speaks to kind of the the evolution of slime house you know there's there's no reacting to i mean there's a lot of reaction to the outrageous hijinks but they just become a more accepted part of the fabric of of slime house reality
0: i feel like i just noticed so many stunt doubles between patricia Heaton and david duchovny sliding on the chairs their stunt doubles during that part uh when the dad like i think jumps on the like one of the villains at the end and then like, Debbie Mazer falling down the hill. I just I was like, I was like, you can so tell that, like it's, I mean, obviously it's not them, but I feel like it was just very apparent that it was a body double. That's funny, because there's one
1: scene that they didn't use a to double for, which is pretty intense, which is where uh, young Emily nearly drowns. And I have to say, like, you know, look, I've had some scary water experience, so, like, I, I was like, wow, that was, like, a true suspense moment, especially, like, like, if I sat with my mom, she would be like clinging to the wall, like during that scene, you know? And they, they, it's all like, you know, it's movie magic. They know what they're doing, but like, dang, yo, she looks like she's really struggling there.
3: <laughs> and that, that, that felt very like animal. We, like, we haven't had enough animal slimehouse movies to really establish animal specific, that many animal specific tropes, but like, the the miss like the the animal coming through and like saving a little kid and then that's how they become like they redeem or not necessarily redeem them but like earn their keep that feels very slime house to me i mean we saw like Gordy's a big one i think of which also involves a girl drowning in a pool um, madeline Ma- yeah madeline. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah there's just so many where like that's how the animal all the everyone's like oh you stupid mutt and then they save a little kid and that feels like the ultimate sort of like that's how you build like that's how you really build in like the turnaround on like the parents being cool with these animals and that feels yeah that just felt like a big animal trope to me that the fact that beethoven and he like leaps from yards and yards away somehow has this like yeah he hears it yeah Uh because i first thought
1: it was their house uh we should establish there is one of my favorite characters is the kooky babysitter who 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 has like i forget what she said she has some like saturday night variety show at the local in or
3: whatever you know
4: she's playing organ but she's playing like disco songs on lady marmalade (laughs) yeah she's
3: doing like lady marmalade and at one point she's like do you kids like herb alpert and the tijuana brass (laughs) which i thought was very funny like yeah well this has a lot of like we talk about a lot of these like boomer needle drops but this is like a rare example this felt like it was making fun of that so like she was she was the boomer needle drops they were making fun of although it did have a lot of use of rollover beethoven which obviously how can they resist but that feels like A very like slimehouse needle drop, these weird, just like rock and roll standards. And then the second one has a very 90s soundtrack with this. There's this James Ingram, Dolly Parton like love duet that just, when it hits for the first time, it's such sort of like an overwrought. It's James Ingram who like did like mo be there with Michael McDonald. So it's like this very just like overwrought yacht rock kind of like love song. With him and Dolly Parton that just yeah that just comes in for the first time when the dogs are like eating popcorn at the movie, which I'm like, that's the funniest time to drop this like crazy dramatic love ballad. And then maybe the most nineties music moment that we've seen in almost any movie there's like a montage that includes a skateboarding puppy set to spin doctors jimmy olsen's blues which that felt so like that we're really firmly in the 90s with these movies now when you get like a spin doctors montage
0: (laughs) i just want to add the the day i fell in love the day i fell in love um was nominated for an Oscar. Beethoven Second is an Oscar-nominated movie for that oh, song, because wow. uh-huh. yeah. which I which I didn't know until watching yeah. this. But because I f- I remember like thinking like, was this movie written for this movie? Because at first you're it's not really sure, but then it gets to this part in the song where it's like, I'll be your Beethoven. It's like. I was like, okay, this is like specifically written for Beethoven. But <laughs> yeah, like, it's so funny I to me like, because <laughs> it's such
3: like a cheesy 90s love ballad. that's just about these dog movies. Like. <laughs> People all say
0: love is wonderful. That the bells will ring, the birds will sing, the skies will roll. Wonder where's that great big ship?
1: I love um, whenever Oscars and Slimehouse bump into each other. It's always like it's usually either makeup or song, you know. Um, and uh, and in this case, it just reminds me of like you know, if anyone's an Oscar fan, you know about Diane Warren, who is a perennial nominee and and writes these just like '90s ballads. But like they still like just always throw them in there, just because like oh yeah, let's give it some clout. But yeah, it does feel like. It feels you know what it reminds me of is you watch The Emperor's New Groove and it's like this goofy, kooky, funny song and then it ends with "Stings, my funny friend and me," which
0: is- <laughs> the score I think is particularly. I mean, I feel like the Beethoven theme is like at least for me one of my like when I think like movie scores like his little piano theme is one that always pops up into my head. But I think the movies this movie has so many motifs i guess there's like the main beethoven theme there's a very clear sort of like sad romance or like like a sad theme like in beethoven one when he's like with his little friend who's digging in the trash like that pops up and scenes like that but then going into beethoven second like regina has a very specific theme um and there's sort of like a danny elfman like breakfast machine sort of, like, chaos music that's used a lot. I just feel like there's so many themes in this. Yeah, I
4: like that you bring that up, Chad. There is so much music in this movie. Like, it's almost wall-to-wall music. Like the, I don't think there's a scene where, if there's not dialogue, there is music going on. Like, there's no just kind of, like, ambient moments where it just sits and, you know, is a movie. Like most Slimehouse movies, but this one in particular made me really... Um, grab onto the idea that so much of the Slimehouse tone is in its music and score is what really, to me, catapults a Slimehouse movie either kind of one way or the other. Um, and this one, I think, kind of going back to my earlier comment, in Beethoven's second, I really think the music in that, in that first kind of 45 minutes hour of, of, of Beethoven's second It's never really zany. It's never really, like, up-tempo. It's all just kind of, like, even-keel, kind of, like, piano motifs, like what you're talking about, Chad, until we get to the mountains. And that's just when the music cranks up with all the gags. really think that that, you know, the music and the score in Slimehouse is so much of what sets the tone. I mean, music sets the tone in in all movies, obviously, but but especially in Slimehouse, I think. Yeah, you see it
1: when it's not there and i think some of that too is uh we have to remember this is the the title of the movie is beethoven so there's a little bit of actual beethoven music which yeah doesn't fit it, it does feel like you know even like from a classical music perspective beethoven wasn't exactly the the slimiest of the composers <laughs> but it, but they do like throw in those moments which i guess is just like to give it some credibility to its name or something like that, um, but you see a, a, you know, a few of those pieces. I think you're describing Jasper are the the Beethoven pieces that are employed.
2: There was a point in the second movie where there was like there was a motif for a little cue from the Super Mario Brothers score. Did anyone
3: else catch this? They play Mario at one point. The video game connection. There was a video. We haven't talked about video game adaptations in a little while, but there was a Beethoven side scroller for the Game Boy and SNES, which. I haven't played it. It looks very generic, but one interesting thing about it, the Game Boy version was at one point the most valuable, I think the third most valuable video game for the Game Boy, and one of the most valuable games in the world, apparently. Now it looks like it, they must have uncovered a big a wealth of them, because it doesn't look like it goes for much now, but at one point it was a very valuable game, so if you got a copy of The Ultimate Canine Caper out there, <laughs> keep, it, keep it close. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's start with the name. I was always so like, Rice with a Y? Like, like. <laughs> yeah. I first like, of like, all, so first cool name Rice. Like... Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And something about Rice's, because in both movies, like she's kind of boy crazy, is this kind of her simple way of putting it. Um, and they both have a, rem- they both remind me heavily of Princess Diaries, the first one, and the plot there, where it's like she falls in love with, like, the coolest guy in school and fun fact this same actress is in that movie i don't know what her role is but according to imdb she has a role she would have been too old to be a high schooler but i don't know it's i think uh, she's
4: one of um mandy moore's cronies
1: no kidding wow she was really pushing that envelope for what how long she could be in high school high school never ends you know um but uh she has this thing where especially in the second one like the guy she falls for is like the, you know, the Ken doll, like the perfect guy or whatever. But then there's a more edgy guy nearby with the earring and the motorcycle <laughs> and has to work at his dad's shop because he's a hardworking guy, you know? And like, Yeah, the for, way he's yeah. dressed
3: was very Slimehouse. I loved, loved his fits. And I love the
1: pivot uh, where, you know, that's like the message they tell people. It's like, oh, don't fall for the popular guy, fall for the the cool guy who will (laughs) understate
4: well also i mean not to get a little like morbid on this i don't say morbid the 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 scene in which rice goes up to the bedroom with the popular guy is extremely disturbing i mean it's basically like he locks the door and there's almost like you know an insinuated intention of like rape which is like pretty extreme for a for a movie for kids and i was just completely taken aback by it. And then it's just takes a 180 tone wise because Beethoven rips the you know facade off the house <laughs> yeah. and he flies out. Damn. Um but yeah, I, I was I was very, very shocked. I mean John Hughes, as we've seen, has, has some you know problematic stuff in his films, you know, in terms of sexual assault and harassment. But that this one specifically in a in a movie that is made for young kids felt, felt very surprising.
3: Yeah, I was very shocked by it. like when she when she like tried to unlock the door. I was like, where where the like I did not think the movie would go 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 here. I didn't think Beethoven would like prevent a, a sexual assault. Seems like a, such a strange like thing to put in a kids movie that that's like something the dog helps to helps to prevent. And like and if anything, this one felt much kiddier than the first one. So I was especially surprised to see that but yeah just the tone the tone is so all over the place in that scene because it goes from like by far the darkest thing that we've seen in any of the beethoven movies to like one maybe the most cartoonish bit we've seen yet right there and it's like this movie is just wild
0: and that movie was my first wilhelm scream when the when the guy falls off um Ah. and like 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 so anytime like that was my first that, that's what I associate it with so anytime after I'm like they took that scream from Beethoven's second like that's <laughs> what I always <laughs> the Beethoven scream I just I just have to bring because I didn't mention her yet about Debbie Mazar for me like <laughs> I said it earlier because it's that First shot where her car pulls up, and then you hear her theme, and you just see that. And again, this is probably me as like a little gay kid, just being like, "Wait, who is this?" Like you just see her heel and her pantsuit that just slightly above the ground, and she's got the slicked back hair and her brow. Like I feel like the nine. This is this is this is what I thought about the nineties villain is like the blonde. It's it's like Joan Cusack in Adam's Family Values or. Elaine Hendricks in, like, The Parent Trap, but for me, it was, like, it was the the brunettes that were, like, the villains for me. It was Debbie Mazar, it was, like, Angelica Houston in The Witches, things like that. But just, like, all her looks and her, like, New York, and they made her from New York. She has a, a line that's, like, people in California, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I loved the apartment. I actually looked up, or, like, there's, because there's a scene where you can see Um, You can see, like, a, a street sign. And I was like, let me see if I can find it. And the apartment is located at 10555 Ashton Avenue, close to UCLA. But was always, like, obsessed with her apartment and just, like her her red jumpsuit and did a lot for me.
3: <laughs> I feel like she brings so much like over the top like like camp elements to this movie which Beethoven doesn't have at all the first one. The first one is like just very like suburban Then she brings these like kind of like campy elements out that I feel like really make, because we've talked about before that like how like, that's kind of all central to Slimehouse. Like camp and Slimehouse share a lot and I feel like she brings this sort of over the top like attitude that really brings a lot to the series i feel like and well and the debbie mays are very famously like madonna's best friend julia fox is rumored to be playing there in the upcoming biopic maybe we'll get to see julia fox play on the set of beethoven too maybe this will be included, <laughs> in, the, <laughs> included in the film
4: <laughs> i like i like that you bring the camp conversation up because we, we often bring slime house also back to kind of another adjacent genre that that we've we've coined the the mutant americana which is kind of that like slightly macabre surreal look at kind of suburban america or or, or just american kind of landscapes. and the fir- both beethoven's kind of felt had, to me felt like they had a foot within that especially the first one because it is so much set in suburbia Um, and it is kind of like brightly colored and kind of has this like dreamlike atmosphere but with these like bizarre set pieces um so yeah there was to me there was quite a bit of campiness to both of them and i i think that the villain especially debbie mazar in the second one and dean jones in the first one especially as you're saying chad raised the camp factor quite a bit
3: don't tell your dad no 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 do you think i'm crazy <laughs> I, I know they're cute now but pretty soon they're gonna be monster dogs they'll destroy our house and they'll drive me out of my mind
2: should we roll over into some beethoven slime scores y'all yeah let's do it let's i'm giving them the same score um, eight okay. out of okay. ten uh, I feel like, I mean, Beethoven 1 maybe is a little more thematically slimy, but I feel like uh, Beethoven 2 is a little bit more of like the visual language of Slimehouse as it progresses and its villains feels slimier to me. It feels just, I mean, I mean, I don't feel like there's a significant difference between either movie. I don't think since the Goosebumps episode, have we seen two movies that feel so like well-paired in their slime content. This isn't Garfield, the Garfield 2, or Mask, Son of the Mask. It's about the same. I mean, they're released really within the ear of each other, so it makes sense. So um, definitely interesting um kind of like connecting piece for us as we go from a early slime to a you know close to peak slime era um in a way that we haven't really seen before in the show um and so
3: yeah yeah i'll yeah. echo that pretty much 100 percent. i uh, give these both an 8 out of 10 for mostly the same reasons um i kind of started out thinking the second one was a little slimier the more we've talked i kind of think that they're both equally slimy, just in different ways. The second one has a lot slimier. I feel like the humor comes off as slimier, it's more over the top. But thematically, narratively, the first one's slimier. And I just think they're both both great pieces of slime history. And I think the more dog movies we talk about, more animal movies we talk about, we'll see a lot of the tropes in this popping up again and again. It really feels like it sort of birthed the like animal slime house genre as we... As we'd see it later, and I think that yeah, especially just this is—they're both eight out of tens, both very good examples of slime, especially of animal slime of dog slime, which is its own subgenre even within animals. I think it's very, and um, we did—we didn't even talk about all the crotch bites, which I feel like is key to <laughs> oh, any yeah. sort of dog slime. So,
1: <laughs> I—I'm tempted to give a nine to the first Beethoven. I actually think that there's a case to me for how influential it is and to me that does kind of buoy it up a little bit i just see a lot of the foundations being laid here i don't think it's a 10 out of 10 because i don't think it's so like developed and balls to the wall as we got later on but i think so much of what they you know laid down here became the norm for what Slimehouse is i think that this is also uh, some of the last years before any CGI could be done in movies, so it's like it's interesting, like that they laid out what you know real life things could happen and with dogs, but then you know we would get something like Scooby Doo, which we have yet to cover, but we will one day cover and enjoy. But like took a lot of the same things like dog human relationships, but then took it to a cartooner, a more cartoonish level because they had more, um, you know know-how with it or more freedom with CGI um, but I think it's so important I think the first one is so important just like Home Alone uh, in terms of like John Hughes's thumbprints on this genre so I think a nine is the right score for that and then I think the second Beethoven I'm gonna give an eight out of ten to for all the same reasons here I I think it's a little more um, it, it's a little m- more just whatever of a movie it's not as well put together i think that and nor is like the thematics as like slime house important but you know they're very similar movies they're uh there's a new trope or a new thing you'll see where like they rush the sequel because the kids are going to grow up you know so like cheer by the dozen *Cheer* by doesn't too like this is and then naturally they have to not do a third one with the same cast because like you know puberty is real you know (laughs) but uh uh yeah so i think eight out of ten for the, the second
4: installment I, I'm also going to give eight to the first one for most of the reasons um, explained. Um, I think it's super influential. I think it's a true pillar of the genre. I'm really glad that, as Jared mentioned, we got, we've seen it and, and identified it as like a nice connected tissue um, to, to kind of what slime would be at its peak and what it was before. Um, but kind of as mentioned, I'm going to give Beethoven's second a seven, maybe even bring it down to a six. Maybe it's just because I really didn't like Beethoven's second on a personal level, but I, there was, the again, the first, like, 45 minutes, I was like, this isn't a Slimehouse movie. This just feels like a kid's kind of, like, after-school special movie to me, um, until you get those, like, real, like, huge, you know, slapstick physical moments. And then even still, those kind of physical moments didn't necessarily feel, like, specifically slimehouse slapstick moments they just felt kind of like giant physical comedy set pieces um aside from the pie eating scene which is which is which is a true centerpiece um but i'll, I'll stick with a seven just because I, I know how influential it is so that'll bump it up but i, I really for some reason it didn't click with me as much slimehouse but both i think are very important and very um essential to the genre as a whole
0: oh. Uh, I think for me, I, I'm i going to get both of them an eight. And I came in prepare or like thinking second, uh, Beethoven's second would be maybe hi- I think higher than the first, I think because for just being more familiar. And with that, like I think of the huge falling into the mud and burger eating and the house being torn down. But um, now thinking of the first in the context, particularly like I feel like the thing I'm coming away with is really its place in like, animal movies i never put it in like what it meant for for that genre of movies that i think is pretty um significant that if anything maybe beethoven one would maybe rank it higher but i feel like i'll keep it at i'll keep it at eight for both
1: (laughs) and on that note i have one other question for you chad uh it's my understanding that you're also familiar with the direct-to-video sequels. So can you tell us a little more about those for those us who have not seen?
0: (laughs) So the sequels... um, So both sequels take place with, like, the same family. I think it's, like, the relatives of the Newtons. It's Judge Reinhold, and I can't think of the actress's name. I think she was maybe on SNL. Um, But they... The premise of the third is that, like, Beethoven has to stay with them, and they go on, like, a road trip... And of course there's something to do with like they rent a video that has a secret code that like these people are like a code to something and there's people trying to track the road trip um and it's like the parents and a and a son and a daughter and then the fourth it's the same family um and it's it's like a uh basically like parent trap like Beethoven switches lives with this like twin saint bernard who's from this like um fancy family the only person i can think of is van cox is in it as well um and it's like a a switch of like a yeah (laughs) well no that's right i remember seeing this because we
1: uh we covered garfield 2 which is a tale of two kitties okay the same thing where they're where garfield gets swapped with a king a cat king, and suddenly gets. <laughs> yeah, scrubbing. I was reading
3: about. I was reading about some of the sequels in the we, the DVD. I would the DVD in Beethoven's Third that like they're trying to get that has the code. Weirdly, is like. The Don Knotts movie, the Shakiest Gun in the West, and it's like, how, how the hell did the filmmakers land on that to be like the movie with the code? It's the That's Shaky- a real movie. Yeah, it's a real movie. Shakiest. <laughs> I've seen it. I, I was a big Don Knotts fan. That my grandparents like had like a Don Knotts DVD collection. So yeah, it's, it's a real movie, the Shakiest Gun in the West. It's like a Western parody with Don Knotts. It's pretty funny, honestly. So I mean, I'd be I'd be trying to get that DVD code or code or not just for the for the laughs. Huh? There's a, and there, there's a few like straight to video ones like since then too that sound really weird that like retcon all the others and Beethoven's a movie star and is voiced by Tom Arnold and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't ventured there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at my work, we have like DVDs where I work, and we don't have that many at, at like the record store I work. But our kids section, it's like super like sparsely populated, and just for like three years, there's been some DVD of Beethoven's Big Break that's just like fate It's like one of the so every day I just am staring at this DVD of Beethoven's Big Break. So <laughs> one of them, I think Beethoven's Treasure Trove has Udo Kier, who's like one of my favorite like genre actors so yeah yeah i'm uh, i've always been kind of curious about that one
1: yeah well uh chad where can our listeners find
0: your work on the interwebs oh gosh well um i guess really just instagram you can find me at chad underscore rab if you i cross stitch in my free time and that's mostly what you'll find there (laughs) well yeah i was
1: gonna say because you have an etsy shop yeah and that
0: that's there if you you know just want to see <laughs> love it
1: um, yeah, well thank you so much for joining us chad uh we hope to have you on do you have any other like essential Slimehouse movies that you must be a part of
0: uh, well i actually have now that seen you branch out into psas i have a tv show i want to throw out there which is the the amanda
3: show oh that was classic i loved amanda show that's definitely slimy because huh? we, we talked about keenan and kell a lot with good burger and they were on, she was on all that. Wasn't well, she start out on all that? Yeah, yeah.
4: There wasn't Amanda Show cameo in the in big fat liar. It's a blink and you miss it, but the dancing lobsters appear in big fat liar.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: For oh, yeah, Ooh,
3: okay.
1: And on that note, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, um, stay, stay
3: slimy. slimy. No. <laughs> Slimehouse, a podcast created by Jared Anderson, Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.